Hello and welcome everyone to another installment of Grasping Scripture. Uh, last week I gave a shout out to our listeners in Ireland as we've got some folks over there listening. Uh, today I want to give a shout out to the folks in Madagascar that are listening to the podcast. I, I welcome you and I'm glad you could tune in. I hope you find this edifying and encouraging in your walk with the Lord. Let's go ahead and turn to the Lord before we turn our attention to the third chapter of Colossians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take this time to turn our attention to your word, Lord, we ask that you would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart to understand what you are saying in your word. Father, as you inspired the Apostle Paul so long ago to write these words to the church in Colossae and in that area, Father, we know that the truth of your word still stands today, that we may be in a different time, a different context, a different culture. And yet, Father, we know that it speaks to us right now, right here. Lord, help us to hear what you have for us as we study your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we delve into this third chapter of the book of Colossians, let me set the stage for you, if you will. This third chapter deals with you know, our life in Christ, about the, the newness of our relationships with others, what they should look like within our household and within our lives. But really, if I could boil it down, the way I would discuss the third chapter of Colossians is this. I would say the third chapter of Colossians helps explain to us as believers what it looks like to live a biblical worldview. That is, what it looks like to live out a life that is lived in obedience to follow Christ. There are many, at least in the United States, that claim the name of Christ. They want to wear the badge of Christian, but that don't, well, frankly, don't follow him, have no regard for his word or what his word says. And the reality is, if we are his, we follow him. Now, do we follow him perfectly? No, but we follow him because we've been changed. I think the third chapter of Colossians is a, a stark contrasting of what it is to live our lives without following God versus living our lives in submission to Christ. And there's a profound difference between the two. Paul begins by laying out the things that we should leave behind that should no longer be part of our life because they have, playing off the end of chapter two, been buried with Christ. They're dead. Then he talks about who we are in our new life and what that new life ought to look like. And he does this in, in general senses. But then as he closes out the third chapter, he begins to really bring it home and say, look, this is what it looks like between husbands and wives, fathers and children, servants and masters. 
This is how it all plays out. And actually, the last part of chapter three is an abbreviated expression of what you find in the fifth and sixth chapters of Ephesians. There's nothing new introduced there. It's it's just a concise restatement of what we saw back over in Ephesians. So if you're with us for that discussion, um, well, you'll get the abbreviated form of it today. If not, then you're getting a teaser today for listening to the fifth and sixth chapters studies. So just be mindful of that. Now, let's plow into the third chapter of Colossians. Here we go. Verse one starts this way. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, okay, they're setting the stage. Since this is your reality, the old self is dead. You have been raised to new life in Christ. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, when he says the realities of heaven, it's not just, you know, be aware of what's really going on in heaven. Heaven defines the reality. What we think we see in front of us is not what is. It's what we perceive. Now I know I, you know, I I've got a degree in business. I've studied marketing. I get it. I understand that in large part, as far as human behavior goes, perception is reality. Because we respond to what we perceive, not what actually is. There's a problem with that. It's all subjective. It's all based on us and what we see. In our modern world, thanks to postmodernism, we have this expression, oh, well, that's your truth. Well, no, actually, there's only one truth. There may be the perception that you choose to operate out of, but that doesn't change the reality of truth. That's a hard concept for people to grasp these days, but it's just the way it is. God is the definition of what is right and wrong. It is either in line with the nature and character of God, therefore right, or it is contrary to the nature and character of God, therefore wrong. How do we know the nature and character of God? He shares it with us in his word. We see it expressed throughout his laws in the Old Testament through the person of Christ in the New Testament, God with us. So that is the reality, the spiritual reality. That spiritual reality that determines eternity in heaven and hell is not based on perception. It is reality. Our perception may be that we can just truck through this life, and if we're generally a good person, everything's okay. Or if we're, uh, to use some of the jargon, self-actualized, then we're, we're good people and it's okay. Or maybe we just fit with what the majority says is acceptable or unacceptable. Well, all those things are based on perception. We, as followers of Christ, must look at reality. Since we have been raised to a new life with Christ, we must set our sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, I was paraphrasing that first verse, but 
trying to make it applicable to us, help us understand what Paul is saying to our lives, what God is saying through Paul to our lives. Let's keep going. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, I've shared with you before, one of the great things I find about Christ's calling on our life is he doesn't call us to walk away from things, to remove things from our life without giving us something else to focus on, something else to fill our lives with. And here we see it. What does he say? He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Quit thinking about the things of earth. Quit thinking about what you perceive around you and think about the reality of heaven. He goes on, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. The world doesn't give you any credit, any attention, doesn't pay you any mind, as they would say, because you're united with Christ. Your life is in him. Oh, they may think you're a nice person or whatever, but they're not going to extol you. All right. But when Christ is revealed in his glory and you are shown to be his, wow, then it's all going to be revealed. Everything will change. Verse five, he says, put to death. So here he's going to help us. We've got to focus not on the things of the earth, but on the things of heaven. We died to this life. So he's going to give us a list of some of the things that we died to in this life. And he's going to do that in verse five. So let's take a look at it. Verse five says this. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Now, he doesn't even have to give a list at that point. When I just say put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you, as a follower of Christ, I'm pretty sure there are some things coming to your mind right now that lurk within your heart and within your life that you're going, you know, I probably need to deal with that. That probably doesn't need to be part of my life anymore. Yeah, well, that's the voice of the Spirit speaking to your heart and convicting you. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with, here's common pitfalls, have nothing to do with these things. And it's not, well, see how close you can get to these things without getting in the trouble or, you know, see how you can let these things control areas of your life, but still keep your heart directed to God. Now, it doesn't say that. Paul's real blunt, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Now, be mindful there. You may read that and go, oh, that oh, whole section is talking about sex. Well, not necessarily, partially. But understand, everything he's talking about there, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires are all selfish. They're all narcissistic. They're all about us and not Christ. 
That's the reality. If our focus is going to be on him, how can we live a life focused on me? We can't. Those are mutually exclusive goals. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on the things of heaven. And doing that, there's some stuff you're going to have to stay away from. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. You may say, Scott, I I want you to elaborate on that. I don't have to. I don't have to. You know what for you is a problem. In fact, he goes on. The rest of the verse says this. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And that's true. If you're greedy, then you have oriented your life around stuff. Wealth possessions, whatever. You have oriented your life to revolve around stuff. And if you have done that, you are worshiping the things of this world. And if you're worshiping the things of this world, you're not worshiping God. You are not following him. I don't care if you wear a t-shirt that says, I'm a Christian. You're not. Because you don't worship God. You don't follow God. If you wear the t-shirt, but you are focused on your own physical desires and your lusts and your sexual immorality, then you aren't following him. You're not worshiping him. You're worshiping you. That is the reality. And I know it's popular today, especially with the, um, oh, the, the different political agendas and, and what our society has deemed to call right, that scripture calls wrong. It's real popular for groups to go, well, you keep picking on us for our, our sexual immorality and you say how evil it is, but you're greedy. understand neither one is right. Just because the other one's wrong doesn't mean you're right. If you're a greedy person and you spend all your time bagging on people that have problems with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires to make you think you're okay, understand you're both doing the same thing. Just one of you is worshiping the stuff of this world and the other one is worshiping themselves. But neither one of you is worshiping God. Followers of Christ have died. Their sinful selves has died with Christ and they've been risen in a new life. And that new life has to be focused on the Savior. That is what Paul is getting across here. So he just flat out says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking in you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, all together, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. The wrath of God will be poured out 
judging this world. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. We forget that sometimes. We think maybe as believers that, oh, I've never, I've never been a part of that. Paul's going, look, this is who you used to be. You used to be just like these people. Don't be like these people. But it goes a little bit past that. If we fall into the trap of saying, but I can't speak about that because I used to. That is a lie. That is a lie that you have been told and you have been sold. The truth is you are a new person in Christ. And yes, the old person that's been put to death used to be part of that. And you can stand up boldly and say, yes, I used to be part of that and I was wrong. And it was sin. And I have been forgiven. And you can be too. That is the stance we should take. Not, oh, well, you know, because I had a problem with that, I can't say anything about it. No, we need to stand up, acknowledge our guilt and shame, and acknowledge that it has been forgiven and we have new life in Christ. Because, folks, that is the message of the gospel. In fact, Paul's going to address that in a little bit. Let's keep going. But now is the time to get rid. Oh, there's more to the list. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Okay, for all you out there that go, the Bible doesn't say anything about me cussing. Yes, it does. All right. Um, Just knock it off. Speak in a way that glorifies God and does not tear people down, but builds them up. If you're not speaking in that way, the way you speak needs to change. Verse 9, don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter If you were a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So Paul's saying, look, here's the stuff you got to focus on. Here's the stuff you got to stay away from. It is no longer a valid part of your life. And if it is, you're focusing on things other than God. So straighten it out and understand at the end of the day, you are in Christ. And that is everything. And all the other things don't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you've been circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if you're considered barbaric or uncivilized. It doesn't matter if you are a slave or you are free. All that matters is Christ. And you have new life in him. So Paul has given us a reality check there. He said, this is who you are. 
And here are the things you need to stay away from. These are the things that aren't part of who you are anymore. So stay focused on who you are in Christ. Stay focused on who Christ is. Follow him. And then he hits verse 12 and he says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wow, that that sounds strangely reminiscent of the list of spiritual fruit over in Galatians, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not accidental, not just because Paul wrote this as well. But the truth of God is steadfast. It's consistent. If what Paul listed in Galatians is what it looks like to manifest the presence of God in your life, then that's still going to be true when he's writing to the Colossian church, when he's writing to us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. See, we've been grafted in through Christ. We become part of Israel, the true Israel. We become part of the family of God. We have become part of the holy people that he loves. And then he doesn't say, then you should. He says, you must. Because that is the definition of who you are. Then you must clothe yourself with. Now, what's the deal with clothes? I mean, we wear them, and that's a good thing. But when people look at us, they see our clothing, don't they? In fact, people tend to judge others based on their clothing, their appearance. And Paul is reminding the Colossians that their appearance, when people look at them, what they see should reflect who they are. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Man, verse 13 is hard. Make allowances for each other's faults. The people around us are not perfect. There's an old uh, adage, I think it was on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that I saw years and years ago, says something to the effect of people who think that they're perfect really annoy those of us that are. Think about that for a moment. Do you fall into that camp? You see, the problem is none of us are perfect. All of us have our faults. We need to be forgiven by the brothers and sisters of Christ around us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they're around us. We need to be forgiven by them because we are not perfect. I am not perfect. I have my faults. And I also need to be forgiving 
the faults of others. I need to be making allowances. I need to understand, you know, they may just be having a really off day. They may be struggling with something. Frankly, Satan may be piling it on in their lives. And they need a brother or sister in Christ to stand with them or just cry with them. Just be there. I need to make allowances. Not attack. And he goes on and says, And forgive anyone who offends you. Oh, I'm glad he didn't say anyone, aren't you? I mean, forgive those that deserve it. I, we can all live with that. But, oh, oh, wait, he did say forgive anyone, didn't he? Oh, man. We have to forgive anyone. Anyone sounds a whole lot like everyone who offends you. What a different year and what a different world this would be as I sit here in the United States in 2020, moving into the early fall, if we actually made allowances for each other's faults and forgave anyone who offended us, wow, what a different place this would be. So how come we as believers don't? And maybe you're going, but we do, we do. Maybe I'm just feeling cynical this morning, but I don't see it very often. I want us to. I want to. I mean, this, this passage is challenging me. That I must make allowance for others' faults. I must forgive anyone who offends me. It's not optional because he explains that. He says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must Forgive others. Not you can, you should, you really ought to. Wouldn't it be great? No, you must forgive others. Well, let's keep going. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Now, he's already talked about these other things we ought to clothe ourselves with. But he says, you know, above all of it, here's this. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You want to be in perfect harmony as a church? You want to be in perfect harmony as brothers and sisters in Christ? Then you're going to have to dress yourself in love. When people look at you, what they see you in has got to be love. Oh, and that love will look like Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But the first thing they ought to notice is, man, look at the love suit that guy's got on. Or that gal's got on. I don't even know what a love suit is. But, you know, clothing that's love. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. You see, when we let the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts, then it doesn't matter what's going on around us because it doesn't rule in our hearts. No matter how frightening, how much change there is, how much sorrow or grief there is, how much stress we're under, or how much shiny, pretty stuff there is that wants to draw our attention, none of that is a problem because the peace that comes from Christ rules 
in our heart. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns spiritual song and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We'll let that weigh on you a moment. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. I think that would call cause us to pause and do some extra consideration of what we're about to say or what we're about to do if we stopped and said, wait a minute, everything I say, everything I do I'm supposed to do it like I am a representative of Jesus, like Jesus sent me to that spot to represent him. Now, if we approach life that way, would it lead us to make different decisions? To choose different actions? To speak different words? I dare say in my life, um, yeah. I, mean, I don't think I do a horrible job of following Christ with my life. I'm daily growing in him. But but I tell you, there are times that I open my mouth and what comes out is not very good at representing Lord Jesus. And sometimes the things I do aren't necessarily a very good representation of the Lord Jesus. And frankly, when they're not, it's when I don't stop and consider. So I challenge you, starting right now, whenever you're listening to this, start right now asking yourself the question, is what I do and say representing the Lord Jesus? Or when people look at it, are they seeing something very different? Now we get to the last little bit of Colossians chapter 3. And in it, this is where we find that, uh, as I said, kind of an abbreviated summary of what we find over in the fifth and sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Let's look at it. He starts out with, in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now, understand he doesn't lead in with a submit to one another as unto the Lord that we find over in Ephesians, but the concept is still there. That the way God has set up marriage, wives, they should be submissive to their husbands. Why? 
because it will help the husband become who he needs to be in Christ. And it's what God says in his word. So, uh, the next verse, husbands, and by the way, husbands, verse 18 is written to the wives, not to the husbands. So don't read that and go, yeah, you need to, yeah, no. That's God's word to the wives. You pay attention to God's word to the husbands, which is conveniently the next verse. Actually, the next few. Husbands, verse 19. Love your wives and never treat them harshly. What would it do to change marriages if wives were submitted, submissive to their husbands? And husbands acted in love towards their wives. And I don't just mean some of the time. I don't just mean anniversaries or what. All the time. If husbands acted in love towards their wives and never treated them harshly. What would that do to marriages out there? How would that change what we see around us all the time? How would that change what you see in your house? Verse 20. Now I said talking to husbands, it, it spills over into the next few verses, and it does, even though the next verse is about children. Still listen. Verse 20. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Do I even need to elaborate on that? We've seen it everywhere from the Ten Commandments on. The children owe a reverence to their parents. They owe an obedience to their parents. Now, I've had people say, well, when does that stop? And I've had some people argue that that never stops. I think there's a point at which you're no longer under the authority of your parents and a, and a family relationship. You've gone out and you have your own family, but there is still an honor and a respect that you owe your parents. And notice it's not about whether your parents deserve that. You may go, but you don't know my parents. No, I don't, but I know my God. And he says, that's how we're supposed to behave. Why? Well, last part of that, for this pleases the Lord. And our goal should be to please the Lord. So just do it. But he goes on in verse 21, fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. It is not your job to beat your kids in the shape. Okay, maybe bad choice of words, although it's not your job to beat your kids. Let's just be clear on that. It is not your job to, to whip your kids and no, it's still not a good choice of words. Uh, all right, lead them. Show them what it is to be a man, to be a husband, to be a father, to be a follower of Christ living out their faith with their eyes on heaven. Be that. But if you think it's all about the end result, I want them to behave this way. And you focus everything on shaping their behavior without instilling that faith in God in them. Through your example, through your life, through showing them love, you have failed. 
because it's not about what they do under your authority. It's about who they become under your guidance. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. He goes on, slaves. And when we go, whoa, whoa, slavery, no, bad. Hey, slavery existed in the first century world. In fact, it still exists in the world today. But slavery has existed pretty much throughout human existence, as near as we can tell. And there was a set structure, both in Jewish culture, throughout the Old Testament, especially post-Exodus on, and in the Greco-Roman culture, which is where Paul is writing this to a bunch of former Gentiles, where slavery was common, it was prevalent, and it was normal. This wasn't a time for debate about the merits of slavery. This was, here is where you find yourself in life. How do you live out following Christ where you are? And so he gives these words to the slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. You're, that's awful. How could he say that? Because that's the reality they were in. If you were a slave, there was nothing you could do about it. But if you were a slave and you knew Christ as your Savior and Lord, then that required you to live like you know Christ as Savior and Lord. What's that look like in the context of being a slave? You obey your earthly master in everything you do. You try to please them all the time. That's the rest of the verse. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Serve your masters. Do it sincerely. Be the best slave you can be. Why? Because you're doing it out of reverence for the Lord. Because you're doing it to show the Lordship of Christ in your life. In the context that you're in, your context happens to be you are a slave. He's already addressed those whose context is they happen to be a wife or a father or a child or a husband. Now he's dealing with slaves. These were the major social institutions of the day. And remember, it's all about being focused on the Lord. Well, he goes on in verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And I know we sort of take that verse out of context. Because, you know, do all you do unto the Lord rather than as you were working for people. Well, yeah, that that is what it means, and it's what it says, and that's not a bad rule of thumb for us. Everything we do, we ought to do as if we were doing it for the Lord. If you are in a job situation, um, you have an employer. Well, you shouldn't just do a good job for your employer when they're standing there watching. You should do it all the time, and you should do it because it reflects who God is in your life. And when you're working, you should work willingly at whatever it is you're doing. If you're building widgets or polishing cogs or, or you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, do it as though you were doing it for the Lord. 
Like Christ himself showed up and said, hey, I need you to do this. Do it that way. Not like you're doing it for a person. Uh, people, uh, a master, uh, a boss. But do it like you're doing it for God. Verse 24, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that the master you are serving is Christ. Now, if you're in a position of authority out there, don't get it in your head that you are Christ to the people under you. No, you're not. Christ is over you too, and we'll get to that. But as far as whatever you do, wherever you find yourself in life, whatever task is before you, understand your master, the one you serve is Christ. So do what's in front of you like you're doing it serving him because you are. And now verse 25. But if you do what is wrong, you know, if you're not going to do all those things, but you're going to do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favorites. You see, you either follow him or you don't. And if you know him as Savior and Lord, you're going to follow him. If you claim the badge of Christian, but you don't follow him, you better watch it because you may not know him. certainly don't know him as Lord in your life. Now, we're going to step into verse 1 of chapter 4, simply because Paul finishes the thought there. And why'd they break it there? I don't know. Paul didn't write it with chapter and verse breaks in it. We added that later. And I don't know why verse 1 of 4 got slipped in the 4 instead of being verse 26 of 3. It's where it belongs. Because in it, he continues the thought and says, Masters, he's already addressed the slaves. Now he's talking masters, those in charge, the boss. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. So, if you are a believer, if you are part of the redeemed, you are a follower of Christ, you know him as Savior and Lord, you trust in him for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, your sinful self has died and been buried with Christ, and you have been raised in a new life. Who you are is in Christ, and it will be revealed to the world, to the universe when Christ is revealed. So when people look at you, you ought to look like you're his. You ought to look like you belong to him. Put on the clothing and stay away from all the actions and all the stuff that screams out, I don't know him. Because that's who you used to be, but it's not who you are now. And so whatever facet of life you find yourself in, child, parent, husband, wife, person in authority, person living under that authority, understand that all of us live under the authority of Christ. 
not just for those who are masters over slaves, but for every one of us, remember that you also have a master in heaven. We are, as Paul says, doulos, slaves of Christ. Follow him. He is our master. Serve him. It's not up for debate or argument. If the master says, do this, we need to be doing it. And if he says, don't do this, we need to stay away from doing it. That's just the reality. And it's what I call living from a biblical worldview, but it, it really goes beyond just that. It's, it's knowing Christ and following Christ. So allow me to pose this question. Do you? Do you? Do you know him? Do you follow him? It's what he's calling you to. There are two options, obedience or disobedience. If you claim the name of Christ, obedience is really the only viable option. And Paul has given us profound, profound guidance here in the third chapter of Colossians of what that obedience looks like in each of our lives. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess to you that we get off base, that we get distracted, that we chase after other things than you, that we become slaves to our, our desires and our lusts in this life, our greed, our longing for stuff. And we begin to worship either our own comfort or the stuff around us instead of worshiping you. And Father, we confess that as sin and we ask your forgiveness. And Father, we commit ourselves to putting on, to putting on love, to putting on that tenderness, that kindness, to putting on all those things you describe as looking like you in your presence. And Father, we ask for your help daily to live as your representatives in this world, that we may glorify you, that we may point others to your kingdom, no matter what our situation, no matter what our station in life is. Father, help us to live that way, to live in your spirit, to live, to live like we are what we are, part of your kingdom. Lord, help us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.